Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. My guest today is Matt Seavey. He's an engineering manager and core developer on a project called Skynet. It's part of SIACoin, S-I-A, SIACoin. So Matt, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You know, as a, like, I don't know if you call it a cryptocurrency, but uh, SIACoin's been around for a number of years. Can you tell listeners what's the uh, the whole premise of it? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, SIACoin's been around for a while a lot of times people are a little bit shocked about how long it's been around. <laughs> and that's because we've been for a number of years, we're kind of pretty low level in terms of uh, marketing is really focusing on uh, the tech to kind of get it to where it is today. Um, but yeah, SciCoin was built around the premise of decentralized data storage. And uh, so basically creating a network of that's an open marketplace for data storage. And a great way to think about it is kind of making the analogy to Airbnb, where Airbnb created this marketplace where renters and hosts can exchange physical space. And Saya has created an open marketplace where renters and hosts can exchange digital space. And so kind of a, an analogy that I like to share with people is a kind of good way to kind of ground them. And in the last year, we've team has released a... Uh, technology called Skynet that is built on top of Saya. And that's kind of where we as a company are really kind of shifting our focus. And we're actually kind of completely uh, rebranding behind uh, Skynet as a technology and a product. Um, and will be something that we've kind of announced within our communities and kind of semi-publicly is that rebranding and as well as the kind of subsequent creation of a Saya Foundation, which will kind of continue on to support the uh, development of the SIA ecosystem and some of those core technologies that help make uh, the SIA ecosystem thrive. Uh, the majority of the team will continue on to focus on Skynet as a, as a product. And, and so well, what is, what I, is I, Skynet versus SIACoin? What's the difference? Yeah, great question. I was yeah, just about to kind of <laughs> allude to that. So the big difference is when it's kind of like how users kind of interact. And so with SIACoin, if people wanted to be a renter on the SIA network, um, it was very kind of individually focused. So every renter had to run their own SIA node. They would form contracts with hosts and they would st store their uh, data. And the whole kind of focus was really about data security and, and making sure that renter was the only person that was in control of their data on the network. So really about giving control of your data back to the user. So, you know, being able to give users access to cloud storage without them having to hand over basically the rights to their data. What Skynet is, is really a, Skynet is really kind of a true web three technology and, and where it is really about the sharing of content and the sharing of applications and the transfer of that data. And so on Skynet, uh, we have now these, nodes that we call portals and anyone can run a portal on their own laptop if they wanted to. Uh, and then we have what's called web portals, which are basically publicly discoverable portals that then any user can interact with data on the SIA network. And so these are some of the features, but again, as a, you know, as a customer, what, so I have data, mm -hmm. I can use Amazon, let's say their servers mm -hmm. or, you know, any, any number of cloud servers, why would I use 
SIO? What's the benefit of it? Why would I use Skynet? Yeah. So the benefit of Skynet is when you really start to think about how, what it can do from an application standpoint. And so I had mentioned that Skynet is more than just kind of data storage. So SIO was really just all about data storage and, and really targeting people that were looking for low cost storage, decentralized storage, really uh, private storage. Um, and Skynet uh, offers this Web3 ecosystem where there's a couple kind of key things that make Skynet really, really kind of revolutionary. So there's one one piece, which we call the kind of global data layer. And so uh, any content uploaded through any Skynet portal is immediately available to any other Skynet portal. And so that you can kind of immediately start seeing the benefit of that in terms of how data is stored and accessed on today's more centralized web. So if you, for example want to upload a photo and you want it to be able to be visible to like your friends and family, right? You might upload that on Facebook. Um, but now that photo is only viewable to people that have an account on Facebook and maybe some of Facebook's kind of integrated applications. But if you're on Reddit, for example, you have no access to that, that image. And so if you also want to share it there, you have to share it there as well. Where on Skynet, you upload it once and any application built on Skynet can immediately access that image and see that. Um, so it really breaks down the silos of data that we have in today's centralized internet and kind of web um, and really opens up some amazing kind of new ways of building applications that offer just an experience to users and developers that's not possible on today's uh, centralized uh, web and kind of building off of that, that also kind of allows then for this idea of like a single account for all of your kind of interactions on the web. So right now, you know, there's a whole kind of industry around password managers. You know, there's a you know tons and tons of password managers out there because people are having to make passwords for for any time you you start an account, you have to create a new account, you have to do a new login, new password, fill in a bunch of stock information that is the same across all of your profiles. And on Skynet, you can do that once. And then all applications can have access to that single account that you have. Um, so from a user's perspective, it just makes it then so much nicer of an experience to be able to sign up once you start using one Skynet application, you want you then see another Skynet application that is of interest, you go over to that, that application immediately has access to your data that you had already created from an account perspective. Any posts that you had originally made you can make that are applicable, it can bring those posts over. So it's a very seamless experience for a user. Is it only for users on, of Skynet products or can you use it for you know the hundreds of logins someone has for all kinds of other sites in the web? Yeah, so it would be for Skynet specifically. And so uh, at least that's kind of where we are right now. And I think the, you know, the idea that is kind of moving towards like a new way of using kind of the web and a new way of kind of a standard in terms of data privacy and kind of uh, how people uh, experience using products and, and things. Another real, uh, really amazing kind of benefit to uh, that Skynet offers is for content creators. And so um, something that we'll be rolling out this year is basically recursive content monetization is kind of what we're, we're referring to it as. And what that means is that today, when you are a content creator on the internet, you have your platform, whether it's Medium, whether it's YouTube, and you're creating content and sharing it on that platform, you have to abide by that platform's kind of rules without and or risk kind of being deplatformed. And then the kind of main source of revenue for those content creators is really advertisement. And so you have to potentially, and a lot of times kind of degrade your content and degrade your 
kind of user's experience of, of looking at your content because of all these, these advertisements. And on Skynet, we will have baked into the ecosystem and, the, and again, at the protocol level, the ability to have direct payments for that content. And so if someone, and a great example that we like to use for that is blogging. And so um, when you, on Skynet, you can create, a developer could create a blogging application. A photographer could take a bunch of stock photos that people can use. And then a writer could go and write a blog. And that blog, that writer could use that blogging application that the developer made and could use some of those stock photos that that photographer made at any time and then publish that blog. And then anytime that that blog gets viewed, the writer of the blog, the photographer of the pictures and the developer of the application can all be paid directly for that content. Um, and so they don't need to, uh, they now can get paid directly for the content that they're creating um, from you know, the developer to the content creator and all the kind of in-between steps and do that in a way that they don't have to degrade their content by trying to pull in advertisement to get that funding. Um, and that's something that we're super excited about in terms of how that can really improve the experience on, on the web, kind of being able to pay content creators directly for, for that value that they're bringing people. Well, I hear a lot of elements that other projects have, have worked on, but I thought like the core of SIA was to store data, you know, to take files, break them up, encrypt them, and put them on various people's computers so that the data storage was decentralized, probably redundant as well and encrypted. But it seems mm-hmm. like these other elements are part of like, you know, maybe the Brave browser or, you know, other types of uh, initiatives out there. Like, is this going to be your new focus or is the uh, data storage and decentralization still going to be there? Yeah, so the data storage and decentralization is still there. And that's where kind of the web portals and the Skynet portals come in. So the Skynet portals are just the original renter nodes that have um, a couple flags enabled that allow them to communicate to all the hosts on the network versus just the set number of hosts that you need to for kind of the standard usage of a renter uploading data on the network. And so when that content is uploaded through a Skynet portal, it's still getting uploaded to the SIA network and the end to those SIA hosts. And you have those file contracts that are breaking up and erasure coding um, that data. And so the data that's stored on the network um, can still be you know, encrypted, safe, and so and split across multiple hosts. The original way that a SIA node would be uh, run from a renter standpoint is they would uh, upload a file and that file would get split uh, into the kind of default was 30 pieces, which is our kind of erasure coding scheme. Uh, and those get spread across the host. And so no host has the full picture of what uh, a file is, as well as all of those pieces are encrypted. And so there's you know really high levels of uh, data privacy in that model. And the Skynet portals do something similar, and they just use a different type of erasure coding to better handle some of the smaller files. And that was, a, that was something that uh, for a long time, people on, you know, users of SIA, uh, we're kind of wanting was better handling of small file support because the smallest kind of data chunk that the SIA node would use was 40 megabytes. And so users that had a lot of small files that were less than 40 megabytes um, had, we were, SIA was padding those files to the 40 megabytes to make the erasure coding work. And, you know, that caused a lot of overhead and kind of, you know, paying for space in the network that you didn't necessarily need. And so Skynet brought that down to four megabytes as well as there's some additional ways to handle even smaller files by kind of packing them together. So it kind of really addresses that need that a lot of users had around needing smaller file support. And also another big ask in the SIA network early on was how do I easily share files? And the answer there was usually around you know having to build some sort of 
kind of application on top of Saya to be able to share, manage that file sharing permissions. And again, Skynet solved that issue for those users as well as being kind of the data content sharing and delivery is the main focus of, of the Skynet product on top of Saya. And so, you know, Skynet and Saya are still kind of very intertwined um, and still very much, very much, you know, the same products. Skynet, you know, when we talk about Skynet and kind of like what it can do, or, you know, it's just a kind of different, a little bit different focus than kind of the pure data storage model. Um, and so making it a lot more accessible and expanding it to really application hosting and kind of a whole new ecosystem uh, that can be developed on top of it. But what's the user base of Sire right now? Um, are there like large concerns using it or is it more like individual people? What are some of like the most common use cases you're seeing it be used for? For Sire or for Skynet? Uh, I don't know if Skynet is far enough <laughs> along, but at least for Sire and then for Skynet as well. Yeah. So for Sire, what we saw was kind of big market and kind of uh, personal backups. So people that had wanted a, a cheap backup solution or a cheap kind of secondary backup solution, prices on the SIA network uh, in the, you know, historically had been around $1 per terabyte per month. And so with bandwidth costs, you know, even less than that. And so for a lot of people that were looking for a cheap backup solution, SIA was a great option uh, for them to kind of start a SIA node and back up their personal computer or their personal you know, home server or something like that. We also saw a handful of then app developer, third-party app developers building on top of SIA, building kind of more either direct S3 kind of replacement drop-ins or more of like a Dropbox style interface. So being that kind of you know layer between uh, users and the actual SIA nodes and but still passing off a huge, uh, pretty significant cost savings. And so, you know, with SIA, it was really about pure data storage of so finding the people that are interested in just like, like, what is the lowest cost solution that I can do? People that are interested in kind of new technologies. Those are the user base that we kind of saw SIA uh, really pulling in. We did a handful of kind of business interactions in terms of working with various businesses that were interested in using SIA and their critiques of kind of like what was challenging for them to use SIA really a lot of the times came down to small file support and file sharing, which again, kind of as we move towards then Skynet, it kind of opens up this ability for them to use SIA and solve a lot of those problems without building custom infrastructure on top of it. And so with Skynet, we've actually seen pretty... Uh, significant adoption of, of SIA, I think much faster than SIA itself. And so I think one of the reasons why we've seen such success with Skynet in terms of user adoption is that kind of ease of, you know, that first user experience and people in terms of getting onboarding is just so much better with Skynet than it was with SIA. So for someone to get started with SIA, they had to start their own SIA node, which, you know, step one was downloading the blockchain, which was around, you know, 15 gigabytes on a oh, SSD wow. that would take like eight hours on a hard drive, it may take like five days. And so, you know, that was just really hard for a lot of users that weren't really invested in the product to kind of get past. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You know, Skynet, you know, with web portals allows people to start interacting with it with, you know, no kind of no onboarding. And so you can go to SciSky.net right now and start uploading and downloading files. Uh, we've created work, a workshop that we've done with a number of uh, different groups now, and we do it you know, with all of our hackathons that we do. And it basically walks through how you can go from nothing to a full style kind of web page generating application on Skynet in like 20 minutes. That application is hosted on Skynet. It is accessing and downloading. It's you know uploading, and downloading data from, from Skynet. I think one of the best examples of the kind of shift in how 
easy you know skynet is for new users and new developers is one of i think it was our first or second hackathon of this year where we, we were really promoting skynet where one of the finalists was someone who was going through a web boot camp and so it was their first time doing any sort of web development they'd never heard of skynet before you know their instructor kind of pointed them towards the hackathon and they were able to create an application that was a finalist for applicate for our entire hackathon so that i think that kind of like encapsulates really well just how easy it is to use skynet and versus you know we didn't we did hackathons in the past with saya and just kind of saw pretty low turnout because of that kind of onboarding with having to work with a sign nodes specifically. So yeah, that's something that we're pretty excited about. At what point will the project be ready for like full scale use or is it ready now for people to go in and you know start using Skynet? Oh, it's ready now. I mean, we've recently just crossed the three and a half million file upload mark um, in the last. So Skynet's been live since I think late March. And so people have already uploaded three and a half million files. We have, I think, we're seeing some pretty significant, we have a hackathon going on right now where we are kind of centered around the latest technology that we release, which we call SkyDB, which is then a global key value store on, on the Skynet network and on, on Saya. So it enables some really amazing functionality of kind of dynamic ap- applications that wasn't possible before. Um, and so now we're seeing people building, you know, kind of Twitter style applications on Skynet. We, our first hackathon that we listed, someone actually built live streaming on, on Skynet. We've seen um, a number of blogging platforms that have been listed. We've seen um, really a, a pretty amazing kind of variety of applications from the hackathons that we've been hosting. And very, you know, even from the first hackathon that we started, you know, every time we see applications that people are building that could easily be turned into a full, full-time business. I think something that also, so yeah, I mean, Skynet is, is production ready now. And I think something that is another kind of really interesting piece of Skynet and kind of the model of, um, I kind of mentioned before, of like not having these silos of data and silos of users that the current uh, centralized web has. Um, it allows Skynet applications to build, basically grow from the network effect of others. And so you know, if one Skynet application takes off and starts pulling in a ton of users, and so there's a lot more users to Skynet, every other Skynet application can then benefit from that growth of that first Skynet application because all those Skynet applications can access that Skynet application's data and the user's, you know, data. So if those users then see this other Skynet application, they can jump over and it's a frictionless experience. And, you know, those applications just kind of share in that network growth where like today, you know, if you want to start a social media app to compete against the current social media apps out there, you have to fight this uphill battle to like build that network effect and kind of build that momentum to compete with the social networks that are out there. Where on Skynet, if there is a Skynet Twitter that takes off and is amazing, um, and then someone's like, you know what, like, I think this Skynet Twitter is people either stop supporting it or it's kind of gone in a bad direction. People aren't happy with it. I can create a new Skynet Twitter that has the improvements that people are looking for. And all of those users could like immediately switch over and their experience oh, is, is the same and they can access all that other data because it's already on Skynet. So because that's one of the biggest things with like gaining a network effect is like no one wants to be the first person on a social media platform because there's there's no media right there's no there's no users there's no content but on skynet because those those applications can share that data 
um, and that data is accessible to all all applications, then you know that second social media application immediately the first user immediately starts seeing information that from other users and, and they can have a fully populated feed and so yeah, it allows those applications to build build on each other really well what about uh, the content itself is there any moderation or rules on what can be posted what couldn't be posted and is there any liability from skynet or saya to hosting content that you know someone deems to be uh, offensive or I don't know, just has bad stuff in it. Yeah. And that's a great question. And that's something that we, you know, Saya has been had to kind of work around for, you know, since its inception, right. One of the, you know, between Saya and Skynet, it's, you know, one of the things that we're kind of always, you know, showcasing is, is that, you know, the user has control of their content, you know, they're not, people can't kind of take it away from them. Um, and with Skynet really kind of pushing the censorship resistance that Skynet offers, and you know, people not being able to just like take your content down. And so, on in both situations, um, kind of what we have done is make sure that there are the mechanisms in place for parties like hosts or web portal operators to respond to takedown requests. And so, you know, the Skynet example, because you know, we say Skynet is censorship resistant because you can always run your own web portal, so you can serve the content from yourself. And then, you know, for us that are, you know, we're, we're operating web portals for to give people access to this technology. You know, if people upload illegal content through our, our web portals and if we get a uh, takedown request from a, you know, a government or a company saying, you know, this violates copyright laws or this is illegal content, um, we can block that content so that it's no longer being served from our portals. Now that doesn't take it off the network entirely, but if no portal is serving the content anymore, then that the content will drop off the network. And so, and so that's kind of how we have been handling things, um, at least initially, because you know we as Skynet Labs don't want to be kind of in control of what content goes on Skynet, right? We don't want that. We don't want that responsibility, and like that's not a responsibility that we think we should have. But at the same time, we want to make sure that there are the tools and infrastructure in place that allow for um, that content to be removed when it's needed to. And so, and that, and kind of with that to protect, you know, new portals or smaller portals, right? So, you know, we as Skynet, we operate the largest set of web portals. And so, you know, if someone thinks that there's illegal content on Skynet, they're going to send the takedown request to us, right? And so, you know, we'll block that content. And so then our, you know, we're not serving that content anymore. And our web portals are kind of clean of that illegal content. And so for people starting a new web portal, um, those block lists are publicly accessible. And so anyone that starts up their new web portal could kind of just query our web portal, get our block list and apply it to theirs to say like, I'm just going to make sure that anything that has been served as a takedown request to, you know, to Skynet, I'm going to make sure that, you know, my portal is kind of not continuing to, you know, make that content available if someone's already asked to take it offline. Yeah. But what about uh, censorship resistance? It doesn't seem like, is the content gone or is it just not served up, but the person that uploaded it, is it still available where they can get their own copy down or is it gone? Yeah, so good question. So the to answer that question, I'll get a little bit more technical. And um, and so when, because Skynet portals are still renter nodes, they have contracts with hosts. And so when someone uploads content through a web portal, that data gets stored in those file contracts with those hosts. And as long as a portal is paying to renew those contracts with those hosts and kind of within those contracts, you can, you know, what data within that contract is being renewed, the content of those uh, contracts will stay 
available on Skynet. And so when someone blocks content, we basically stop serving that content. That data will still live in those contracts until those contracts expire. And the kind of typical contract, you know, lifespan is about three months. And so basically, if someone's content gets blocked for example of, you know, someone had uploaded, you know, data, like a, an application, and someone kind of maliciously said, Oh, that's bad, I'm going to block it. And so we blocked that content, that person could still create a, you know, if it's within that three month window, that person could create their own portal, and kind of, you know, pin what we call pin that content to their portal. And then that data gets put into the file contracts that they have. And so that contract, that data then lives on. Um, and so as long as one portal is kind of keeping that content pinned um, or keeping that content in their file contracts, then that data will live on on the SIA network. And you'll just have to know kind of which portals are blocking that content versus allowing that content. But what if I'm just using it for encrypted storage? I mean, would anyone be able to see what I have stored or no? Like if I have the secrets of the universe and you know, I want to break them up into chunks and encrypt them and put them on, you know, SIA or Sky network, without serving them up to anyone, but I can access them, is that doable? And would that be very unlikely to be uh, seen into and censored? In the original kind of SIA node model where uh, someone was a renter and their data was erasure coded encrypted client side, you know, it would be pretty hard to kind of figure out if that person was serving illegal content or storing illegal content. Usually it's because someone started sharing that content that it is discovered that there is illegal content. Um, so on Skynet, um, mo the content is actually not encrypted by default, but there are mechanisms to encrypt it if that is, you know, if you want to be encrypting your content and uh, limiting who has ac access to it. And so because it's unencrypted by default and um, anyone can access it, it's a little bit easier to find find that content. And even if it's encrypted, you know, if it's been, you know, usually there's kind of a reason that, you know, someone started looking into, you know, the content that you're sharing. and so kind of how that initial process works out in terms of like finding the content would be, you know, slightly harder if it was encrypted. But then, because uh, when you upload content you to Skynet, you get a Skylink back. If um, it's determined that that Skylink is associated with Eagle, Eagle content, we kind of block by that Skylink, um, which is an immutable link to that data. And so even if you try and upload the same content to another portal, um, it's going to generate the same Skylink. And so, you know, re-uploading the same data would not work as a kind of a way to circumvent the uh, data being blocked from our portal, for example. But if I just want to upload like private data and encrypt it, keep it on, you know, Skynet, can I do that? And I never serve it. It's just there and it's encrypted. And, you know, I guess it'd be pretty safe as long as I renew the contracts that agree to keep the data, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's, you know, we use... Um, for encryption on on Skynet, we call we use SkyKeys as a way to encrypt it, and so you can then also you know either keep that content just encrypted on Skynet um, and just you're just storing it, but then you can also still share that content with that associated SkyKey, and and only the people that you give that SkyKey to would be able to decrypt the data and, and see it. Um, so Skynet gives you that ability to you know, store encrypted data. And if that's kind of your only goal, like you just want to store encrypted data and not share it with anyone, perfect, great. Like you can do that. But if you decide to change your mind at the time and you want uh, later down the line, you want to share it, you can then, you still have that mechanism to be able to share that data with those that you want to. Okay. I guess last couple of questions. Uh, SciaCoin and Skynet versus uh, Filecoin or MadeSafe or Storage, any of these other ones that I guess at least initially seem to be similar, like what's 
what's the difference amongst them that you see? Yeah, I mean, I think for a long time, the biggest difference that we would kind of say is that we have been in production for six years now. And so, you know, if you're looking for something that is ready to use today and and you want to build on top of it and build a real business, then Skynet is the Skynet's the option for you. I think something else that differs is the kind of level of uh, decentralization. You know, Skynet is, you know, we've always strived to not kind of back down on any uh, decentralization promises. And so, you know, even with Skynet, like as the technology continues to evolve and become more powerful, um, the ability to run like a Skynet portal, for example, still remains available on just a very standard hardware requirement. So really any laptop nowadays can run a Skynet portal. Um, so it, just, it adds the level of being able to, you know, have that level of decentralization. And I think also there's kind of differences in terms of the kind of economic models that support the network. And I think, you know, I think we we feel strongly that we have a really powerful um, economic model that one incentivizes hosts to be a part of the network. And also now with Skynet is incentivizing content creators to be on the network and, you know, makes it just a really kind of uh, powerful ecosystem that uh, is going to be around for a long, long time. Okay, very good. How do people get access? How do they find uh, Skynet? Where can they go? Absolutely. So uh, best place to start would be um, right at our public web portal, which is sciasky.net. So that's S-I-A-S-K-Y.net. From there, you can uh, see how to just easily upload and, and download files, upload and download applications. Um, additionally, uh, you can find us on Discord and we are still under Saya under our Discord, and we have some uh, Skynet-specific channels uh, to get more information there. Um, and also, we have all of our Skynet-related GitHub repos uh, in terms of if you're a developer looking to learn more about our SDKs, uh, you can find those under uh, at GitHub slash Nebulous Labs. Um, so we're still, uh, that was our original name. So those might change in the future as, as we rebrand, but that's kind of where we are uh, right now. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Matt, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I had a great time. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.